0: If you've got a Bible with you, get it open to Luke 6. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 26 today. If you're new to Crosspoint, my wife Heather and I, uh, we have two children who are no longer children. We have uh, Maddie who turned 21 this last week, and then Eli will turn 19 here in a few weeks. And so for all those years, Heather and I have been prayerfully seeking to shepherd our children toward the Lord, preparing them not only for the stages that they were walking through at the time, grade school, middle school, high school, but also preparing them for adult life, that post-high school life. So in a lot of ways through the years, we've been trying to help our kids see, all right, here's how the world thinks and operates, and here's what the world values, and here is what the kingdom of God, how, how the kingdom of God operates and what it values and how we are called to live as followers and disciples as a part of the kingdom, citizens of heaven, in the midst of being citizens here on this earth. And if I were to summarize the distinctions drawing between these two kingdoms or how these two, this world and how we are called to live, live as Christ followers, how they how they contrast, one thing that we've been trying to say is to, to our kids is, hey, listen, the world, two drums it beats, it has others, but... Two drums it beats is the world says live for the moment and live for you. Live for the short term, this earthly life, because in the world's eyes, this life is all there is, and live for yourself. Put you first. Put you at the center of relationships, put you at the center of all decisions and choices, put you first. But the Lord, throughout his word, has called worshipers of him to live differently, counter to how the world thinks. You might say upside down, or maybe a better way to say is right side up, because this is how we've been designed and called to live, enabled to do so through a restored relationship with our Father. And so the Lord calls believers to live with eternity in mind and live for him. We're going to live this life fully aware of its brevity, and so we're going to be wise with the time that we've been given and live out that heavenly identity while here on this earth. We're going to live this life fully aware that there is an eternity to come. And so we're going to grow in our devotion to the Lord who has saved us and live for him and love him and others and bring our God glory. We're not going to use our freedom in Christ to serve us, but Galatians 5 would talk about that we use our freedom in Christ to serve the Lord and love the Lord and serve and love others. We're not going to settle for living for ourselves, for we know that deeper joy is found in knowing the Lord and loving Him, loving others. It's that old acrostic of J-O-Y, joy, Jesus, others, you, and we prioritize Christ and then others and we put ourselves last or in that third place. That is where joy is found, not in us asserting ourselves or putting ourselves first. As your pastor, I want us to discover the joy it is to know the Lord and to be known by Him. I pray that for our earthly family tree, the Steinbeck family tree. I pray that for the Crosspoint family tree that we would be a people who would live with eternity in mind, living for the one who's enabled us and brought us into the kingdom, who died and rose again for us, that we'd reject that temptations that we all face to live short-sighted, to live only for the temporary, only for the moment. We'd reject putting ourselves first because we know that's not how the Lord has called us to live. We are new creations in Christ, and so we live for Him. I pray that by the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would faithfully and daily commit to living counterculturally for the Lord's purposes, for His glory. And so for 21 plus years, we've been trying to prepare our children to go out and be disciples of Jesus who will be in this world, but not of the world, who will be missionaries. This is what we do, right, parents? This is what we've been called and commanded to do, to reach the next generation, to prepare and equip that next generation. And this is what Jesus is doing here in Luke 6. He's preparing his disciples. He's saying, here's what it looks like to follow me. Here's a picture of the way of life of a follower of Jesus. Keep in mind the overall context of where this story lands. It occurs between what we looked at last week where Jesus calls these disciples, calls the twelve who will become apostles, sent out, and then later on he's going to send them out on mission. Here in between those two moments is where we find ourselves. Some people call this next section of scripture the Sermon on the Plain versus the Sermon on the Mount that we find in the Gospel of Matthew and and scholars disagree on, is this the same sermon or are these different sermons? So one, uh, one option of how to understand these is Matthew and Luke are recording the same sermon but from different perspectives, different angles. The other option here is that scholars believe that these are actually two different sermons. Jesus was an itinerant preacher, if you will. He traveled around, crowds changed, but often the subject matter of his teaching remain the same. And so this might be at different times and different places, different crowds, but we'll see similarities between Matthew's sermon on the mount and Luke's here sermon on the plain. Either way, what we know what we know is that the son of God is the te- is the teacher with all authority in heaven and on earth. And so what we are reading here is authoritative and true and relevant for our lives. As it relates here to the Beatitudes, there are differences between Luke's account and Matthew's. Matthew's are more directed at the spiritual aspects, such as being spiritually poor, and Luke's are more directed at the physical side of things, actually being poor or hungry. Jesus is definitely speaking to both areas, though, throughout his ministry, both the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Matthew has eight Beatitudes. Luke has four Beatitudes, but includes four woes. Now what we see on the front end, what we, we've got to understand this before we get into it. Jesus is not giving the prerequisites here on entrance into the kingdom. So in order to get into the kingdom, he's not saying you better get yourself poor, hungry, sad, and excluded. If that were the case, those would be works that we would be doing and our salvation would no longer be through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. As one author said, these are also not conditions on entering the kingdom of God, but blessings pronounced upon those who have already entered. These are blessings to disciples of Jesus who have committed to live in dependence upon the Lord, forsaking self and saying, I'm going to live for Him. This is also not saying that you are only blessed by the Lord if you are poor, hungry, grieving, and persecuted. So these are not qualifications to receive blessings, but rather promises of blessings when these conditions are occurring in our lives. Conditions that are happening because of our devotion to Christ. Jesus is also not saying that those who are wealthy or happy or well-fed or honored are automatically cursed. So I think what Jesus is saying will become clear as we work our way through it. He's encouraging faithfulness in his disciples as he teaches. He's also encouraging the crowd that is listening to become disciples and followers, and that's my heart, as well as a pastor, to encourage faithfulness in us who trust in the Lord now, as well as encourage those of you who don't trust in the Lord yet for your salvation to come to know him and trust in him. So verse 20. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Keep in mind the disciples that he's speaking to left businesses like Peter and Andrew. James, John, they left fishing businesses. Matthew, the tax collector, was wealthy. He drops that business to follow Christ. He forsakes the pursuit of wealth as a God and begins to pursue Jesus, the Son of God. This group and others who are listening have experienced a decrease in their personal wealth because of their devotion to Christ. And Jesus says they are blessed as a result. Jesus makes it very clear here in Matthew 6 that that we can't serve both God and money in Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, the tax collector, couldn't continue to steal from people and line his own pockets and put himself first if he was going to follow Jesus. He had to forsake that and trust in the Lord who would provide for him. Money itself is not evil. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Scripture tells us. The love of money can rule your heart and life. The love of money brings corruption. The love of money brings a false sense that you can depend upon yourself and rely upon you. We see later in the Gospel of Luke, he records two stories that illustrate the love of money. Luke 18, the rich young ruler. The ruler was unwilling to surrender his control over his money because he thought it was his. He was the ruler over it. He was unwilling to entrust it to the Lord and hold it in an open hand. And so scripture says he walks away sad because he's unwilling to let go of his love of money in order to have a greater love for the Lord. Zacchaeus, though, in in Luke 19, was wealthy and yet forsook or repented or rejected that love of money and self and reoriented his life around the Lord's purposes and began to give generously. It was clear through this wee little man's actions that he was trusting in the Lord and salvation had come to him and his household. He was loving God and saying, I'm no no longer going to love money. You'll notice in each of these blessings, there is a clear posture that says, I need the Lord. I am in dependence upon the Lord. I need the Lord for material provision. I need the Lord for food and satisfaction. I need the Lord to comfort me in my grief. I need the Lord and His presence and His relationship when I'm being slandered or excluded or persecuted. Verse 21, Blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. What is now won't be forever. If you're without now, you won't be without forever. The Lord is bringing and will bring relief. All things will be made new in the end. We know that now in this life that Jesus is our bread of life, our living water. And in the future, in eternity, we will never grow hungry. We will never grow tired, never grow faint. We will be filled. We will not be lacking in any way. And now in this life, we depend upon the Lord. It is not we depend upon ourselves for our entire lives and then we reach eternity and then we flip it and say, well, now we'll depend upon the Lord. No, this earthly life is practice for what we do the rest of our lives into eternity. We live as citizens of heaven now and out of that identity, we are saying when we sense lack in our lives or when we are well-fed and in abundance, either way, our dependence is upon the Lord. Our satisfaction is found in him. Our eyes are upon him. Our hands are open to him. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Jesus is talking to his disciples and followers and we see in the life of Jesus that he experienced suffering. It wasn't the only thing he experienced, but his life was clearly not absent of suffering. And so his followers, whether then or now, should anticipate that our lives will have some sort of suffering. We'll have chapters of suffering. We don't live fearfully of those, but rather we know that even in those chapters of life, we have fellowship with the Lord. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3.10, My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. So in a Christ follower's life, there's going to be cross-like sufferings, but there's also going to be resurrection-like joy, joy that is in the midst of suffering. Because we know the cross, we look at the gospel, and the cross is not the end of the story. Resurrection is coming, loved ones. So we have living hope now and eternal hope in the future. We, We walk by faith. We live by faith. Hebrews 11 gives us all these stories throughout Scripture. A people who lived by faith. And all their stories have some element of suffering. And in the end, they all end with eternal joy and laughter and rest. No more suffering, no more tears, no more grief. Resurrection is coming, loved ones. Verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil. Disciples of Jesus will face opposition. Jesus is preparing the twelve and others who are listening for that opposition. Don't be surprised. We see that opposition play out in the New Testament. And some of you know that reality as well. You faced opposition from family members as you have followed and obeyed Jesus. You face opposition from an unbelieving spouse or from friends who want to exclude you or slander or spread false rumors about you. Or maybe someone has said, hey, you're no longer invited because when you step into the room, you just kill the atmosphere because you're unwilling to partake in what we want to do. Maybe they begin to mock your faith or mock your God. And Jesus says to you, blessed are you. See, many of us wrongly think that our faith in Christ is intended to be kept private, a, a secret almost. But in the context of here in Luke, a a person's faith was very, very public. To identify with Jesus as Lord and Savior was to identify publicly. Think of Peter and Matthew, the disciples. They're, They're leaving old lives, and that is a very public departure. Everyone found out, and praise God, everyone found out. Praise God the 12 didn't keep their devotion to Christ secret, but lived it out because they lived it out, and those convictions shaped their life it led to persecution. And at minimum, it led to being socially outcast or excluded or slandered at times. And at worst, as we look at the apostles, it led to martyrdom. See, we all have this desire in us to be liked. We're born with it. We want acceptance. And so Jesus is saying, there's going to be times in your life when because of your public faith you will not be accepted and Jesus actually says you are blessed as a a result because we are continually accepted in the Lord. That in Christ's identity doesn't change. In Matthew 10, Jesus tells his disciples that faith in Christ may actually cause division among your earthly family. Some of you are living that or have lived that before. May the words of Jesus encourage you today. We want acceptance. It's part of our our God-given wiring, but sin distorts that and twists that, and so we look for acceptance or identity in people around us horizontally rather than the Lord. And so we are prone to hypocritical living in pursuit of earthly acceptance. Blessed are you if you are rejected for being unwilling to go in the crowd on the wide road toward destruction. Verse 22 is a beautiful and encouraging promise that even when we face human rejection because of our faith, we will never face heavenly rejection from our Lord and Savior. Some might argue that in the midst of persecution or exclusion or those difficulties, our awareness of being in Christ, our awareness of His presence and our relationship with Him actually deepens, it gets stronger. That phrase of because of the Son of Man at the end of verse 22 gives us context into these four blessings. It reminds us here that Jesus is talking to his disciples who are experiencing poverty, hunger, grief, exclusion, and persecution because of their devotion to and belief in Christ. They're experiencing these physical realities, and yet they are still blessed both now and in the future because physical circumstances do not determine or dictate our joy or happiness. We live with eternity in mind, which reminds us of the end of the story and the living hope that we have now, the eternal hope that is coming. The kingdom of God is full of faithful people who can live above their circumstances and trust in the Lord. The kingdom of God is full of faithful people who can live above their circumstances, lift their eyes, and put their trust in the Lord. And Crosspoint, that describes so many of your lives, is deeply encouraging to witness. And here's the one command that Luke gives in this passage, verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Rejoice in that day. That is not just speaking of eternity. He's speaking of now. Rejoice now is another way to translate that. Do this now. Leap for joy now. I don't know the last time you leapt, but this is over-the-top joy. This is deep in your soul, even in poverty, even in hunger, even in grief, even in exclusion and persecution, deep anchored joy. How are you doing on that right now, church? How are we doing on that? Are we rejoicing now? Or are we saying, well, we'll we'll rejoice later on the other side of this? Are we leaping for joy now because in Christ hasn't changed? Because Romans 8 hasn't changed? Or are we grumbling and complaining and despairing and doubting. Rejoicing now and leaping for joy now does not mean ignoring physical reality. Jesus is not telling the disciples right here, I know you think you're poor, but you're really not. I know you think you're sad, but you're really not. He's not denying the realities that they are walking in. But he is saying even in the midst of that, there's a promise of blessing. There's a promise both now and in the future. Rejoicing does declare that the treasure we have found in Christ, it shades, it colors everything else that we experience in this life. It gives us perspective that temporary and momentary troubles are never the last chapter. The Lord is at work. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is still blessing. What is now won't last forever. And what is now is never wasted. For James 1 tells us that we can count it joy We can count trials joy because we know in the midst of them the Lord is at work. The Lord is producing in us maturity of faith, perseverance, a steadfastness. He's making us more like Jesus, and that's a good thing for our own hearts. That's a good thing for those around us. It's a good thing for the world that we live in. We can rejoice now by taking note of two realities. Your reward is great in heaven, which points our eyes forward, praying that one day we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And remembering the prophets who came before us points our eyes backward in faith-producing hindsight, reminding us that if some or all these physical realities are the case in our lives, we are blessed and we are in good company. We are in the company of the faithful who have gone before us. Both perspectives, that forward-looking as well as the rear-view mirror-looking, it lifts our chins. It lifts our eyes. It it, it helps us to see that living for the Lord and living in light of eternity, we're not going to live for ourselves. We're not going to live for the earthly. Our dependence is upon the Lord because woe comes to those whose dependence is in themselves and apart from the Lord and apart from the Lord this is where woe enters in and this is where Jesus comes or goes next woe meaning unrelenting sorrow pain agony eternal condemnation and judgment if the four blessings were a result of our dependence and our devotion to the son of man the four woes are a result of our dependence upon ourselves and living for us and putting us at the center. Verse 24, and you'll see how these contrast with the earlier blessings. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Again, this woe is for the person who is not trusting the, in the Lord and who's living for themselves and only for and not for eternity. And while they have amassed wealth in the end, it, it will mean nothing. In the end, it will bring them no eternal comfort. The comfort they are experiencing is only temporary. When their lives and their money are gone, so is their comfort. And as a result, they are only left with condemnation. Verse 25 Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. In eternal condemnation, hunger and dissatisfaction will be ongoing. Woe to them for the eternal future. They will lack for what they have in abundance now. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. This is not woe to anyone who smiles and giggles. Like, the more devoted you are to Jesus, the more serious you are, less jokey. That's not what he's saying. Again, keep in mind the context. This is laughter that is self-centered. It's mocking. It's boastful. It's at the expense of others. It's tear you down So I can puff myself up. It's condescending laughter. Verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. So the person who's saying, I'm living for myself, not the Lord. I'm living for the temporary, not the eternal. They're continually chasing the approval of man or people versus the Lord. And Proverbs tells us that that the sphere of man or this, I need the acceptance of people, that fear is a snare. It's a trap that that you'll get your foot caught in, your life caught in, because you'll begin to forsake the Lord in pursuit of the crowd's praise. You'll actually sin against the Lord because you don't want to look silly in front of someone else. You just want to blend in. You don't want to speak the truth in love. And Jesus is saying that's like functioning like a false prophet, a false teacher or prophet who's just telling the people what they want to hear. And that was the case in Old Testament, New Testament, and now. The true prophets were actually rejected. But the false prophets were received and loved, but in the end woe came to them. Condemnation was theirs. So if we look at these four woes in the context of being missionaries, and if we see them in their uh, in, in the opposite, if woe is all about self, then how do we see these four areas in light of being devoted to Jesus? Well, as it relates to money, we are called to be generous, to live a generous way of life. If the Lord has blessed you with wealth, then use it for His purposes. Store it up in heaven. Invest it into the kingdom. Plant seeds into, the, into lives sow seeds into the work of the Lord. That's the blessed life. As it relates to hunger, let's broaden it out and just call it satisfaction. We are called to find our ultimate satisfaction in the Lord. We're going to reject that temptation to try to to find it in earthly things or created things. Instead, we're going to look to our creator who is forever praised. That's the blessed life. As it relates to laughter, at the heart of that woe that Jesus pronounces is pride. Pride a pride-filled and motivated mocking. And so as missionaries, we're going to choose humility in Christ, using our words to build others up, strengthen them, speak words of life, speak truth, spur them on. That's the blessed life. And finally, as it relates to the praise of others, we are called to live for the praise of our God alone, living to make much of Him. So we're going to be willing to stand out from the crowd, or swim upstream, or look different than culture, because that is what Jesus did. And we're following Him. We're seeking to become more like Him. That's the blessed life. You guys want to come up? One commentator said this about this passage. I think it sums it up well. An attitude of independence from God is the roadmap to destruction. Its reward is fleeting, limited to the present. An attitude of independence from God is the roadmap to destruction. Its reward is fleeting, limited to the present. We're going to be continually tempted to live independently from the Lord and live for the temporary brothers and sisters. We've been redeemed, we've been rescued, we've been reconciled, brought into relationship, a new spirit, new heart, New creations in Christ, and now we are called to live out that identity. Live dependently upon the Lord and live for Him. Father, I pray that You would enable us to do just that. That You would strengthen our faith. God, that You would enable us by Your Spirit and by Your grace to rejoice now. That we would leap for joy now. That there would be this deep, anchored joy that is in Christ that is unchanging, lift our eyes and our chins, take our faces like a father and just kind of lift us up to be able to see past circumstances and see the eternal and see your goodness. Enable us to worship you well in this season and in the coming days, weeks, and months. May you be glorified and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Father, would you enable us to live in such a way, spirit-empowered, lavished in your grace, to live in such a way that in the end we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Be exalted through our way of life. Be exalted through our words. Be exalted through our relationships. Be exalted through our lives this week. We trust you. We depend upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.